book of Esther, chapter 4, if you'll turn there tonight. And if you need a Bible to follow along with us, we're going to try to cover chapters 4 and 5 tonight. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Pastor John will slip you a Bible so you can study the Word of God with us tonight as we're in the Old Testament book of Esther. We've covered the first three chapters. We'll be in chapter 4 here tonight. We'll begin at verse 1. We'll see how far the Lord takes us tonight in His Word. So Esther chapter 4. While you're turning there, um, remember that on Sunday that we are going to continue in our study in John's Gospel. So uh, we'll be in chapter 8 as uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem. And you recall that he declared that he is the light of the world. And the continued debate among the religious leaders and the people concerning Jesus is going to continue. So some very important um, verses that we're going to be looking at concerning Jesus and who he is and who he claimed to be. And so it's important for us to understand those things. So John's gospel has been an incredible study. Uh, Again, chapter 8, we'll be picking up our text at verse 12 and going through verse 36. If you want to go ahead and read ahead for this Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30, invite somebody out to Calvary Chapel on Sunday as we're going through John's gospel. There's some other things that are in your bulletin. Take a look. There's a ladies' event coming up on the 13th. That Teresa Romero is hosting, and um, there is a youth event that they're reminding the kids tomorrow night for middle schoolers and high schoolers, 6 to 8 o'clock tomorrow evening here at the church. And other things that are there, we have baptism on the 14th. Um, we don't want to forget about that. And men's breakfast, right, on Saturday at 8 o'clock at Golden Corral. So guys, come join us for breakfast right down the street on 23rd Avenue. And um, we always have men's prayer at 7 o'clock, so come join us for prayer if you can, guys, at 7 o'clock, and then we'll go eat. So uh, other things there in your bulletin, take a look at it. But, Father, we desire to right now come to you. And, Lord, I pray that tonight as we we go over these chapters, that it seems so dark, um, it seems so hopeless when we begin this story, but then we see that you're working And Lord, this story is recorded for us, not to just give us a historical perspective, but Lord, that we can make application for our lives here tonight. Because perhaps that for some of us, times have been dark or situations or difficulty. And it's been hard to to maneuver. And and Lord, um, we know that as we read your word and your promises, that you're with us and you're working. And Lord, that um, you are faithful and that you are good and you love your people. So Lord, may we be comforted tonight as well as instructed. And Lord, may we come to the place where we just leave this place because we've been here and because we've been over these chapters and we've let it touch our hearts, that we go home with comfort and we go home with the peace that passes understanding And, Lord, joy unspeakable because we've been here. So, Lord, have your way in this place as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in chapter 4, we read, When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the midst of the city, cried out with a loud and bitter cry. And he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. 
In verse 3, in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was a great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and with many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so what leads up to chapter 4, of course, is this story that took place 2,500 years ago. It's a true story. And King Ahasuerus is the king over the most powerful empire in the face of the earth at this time. And it stretches all the way, this empire, 127 provinces, as we have read, from India all the way through the Middle East and Northern Africa. And we know that in chapter 1, as he is hosting a a big party, uh, the king is, that he would ask for the queen to come out and show herself. And the queen's name, of course, being Vasti, we read that she said no. She refused to come out before the king and his guests. So the king became very, very furious. He was embarrassed. He uh, was one that uh, was full of wrath. And because of that, he would make a decree at that time that the queen, Vasti, that you're no longer going to be queen. You're no longer going to hold that position. You're no longer going to come before the king. And your position is going to be given to another. So in between chapters 1 and 2, some time had passed. And it was the advisors that came to the king and said, Listen, king. Um, to get a new queen, why don't we do this? We'll get all the young virgins in the empire that we can, bring them here, and, um, and then they'll go through preparations, as we saw in chapter 2, and, and then you're going to determine who the queen is going to be. And in that, as these young ladies are uh, gathered up, they were really taken into captivity. And we know that Esther is introduced to us uh, at that time. And Esther, who had been raised by Mordecai, was uh, brought up by him because her parents had passed away. And we know that uh, the cousin of Esther, Mordecai, raised her as a daughter. They're Jewish, and Esther was taken by Haggai, the the eunuch, and she was in his care. And we know, verse 8, in the custody of Haggai. So she really didn't have any choice to go. She had to go. And she doesn't reveal her Jewish identity, but she's there along with the other young virgins that came along, and they go through the preparations. And then they would be called by the king. They would spend a night with the king. They would go back into the harem, and it wasn't as though they could leave and go home. But over that process, we know over time that Esther would be selected by the king to be the new queen. And so chapter 2, we saw that the king made a great feast and and the feast of Esther is what it was called. And uh, all the, uh, the people celebrated this new holiday and gifts were exchanged and all of this. In the meantime, Mordecai, he ends up being promoted to where he is sitting within the king's gate. That is, in that square where the official business of the king would take place. So Mordecai is there, and you recall that he would learn of a a plot by two eunuchs there that were going to kill the king. He tells Esther. Esther tells the king on behalf of Mordecai. Keep that in mind because that's going to play into the story as we continue through uh, this book. 
So that was chapter 2 as we saw. But then the villain comes into the picture, and that is Haman. Haman, who is promoted by the king. He is really at this time Haman, the right-hand man of King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes. And here is Haman. He's a picture of Satan. He's a picture of the enemy. He's full of pride. He's full of arrogance. We're going to see that very clearly as we continue to go through the text here. And Haman was one that um, the decree had gone out by the king that uh, people were to pay homage to him and bow to him. But Mordecai refused to do so. And at that time, Mordecai, as the, the people there in the, particularly the king's uh, square in, in the courtyard where he was doing business, they came to Mordecai. And I really believe that they liked Mordecai. And these guys are saying to him, why don't you just bow down to this, this man who's an Amalekite, the, the uh, descendant of Agai. And of course, we had a long discussion about who the Amalekites were and how they were the enemies of the children of Israel and, and how much problems they caused to them. And it was Mordecai who revealed himself to be a Jew, saying that I will not bow down to any man. I won't bow down to any statue. He refused to do that. And of course, I want to remind you at this time in our study that there's going to be a time where we're tested, our faith is tested. Whether you're going to reveal that you're a Christian or not uh, is something that will come to all of us in our lives as that time of testing comes. Maybe perhaps the people at work want you to go you know, to a place where you know that you shouldn't go or be involved in activities or the guys out in the field, you know, hey, let's go out and do some drinking, whatever it might be, or let's watch this that you know uh, is wrong and sinful. And we are to stand up and say, I'm a Christian and I won't do that thing. So here's Mordecai that he refused to bow down to Haman. And Haman was furious. He was angry. And he not only wanted to get back at Mordecai, but he wants to get back at the whole Jewish race. And he goes to the king. He's very deceptive, as you recall, as we covered last week. And he, you know, goes to the king and says, hey, there's a certain people. He doesn't tell them that they're Jews. They're scattered throughout the empire, and, and they're in rebellion. They're not keeping your laws, and um, therefore, it's not fitting for them to live. He's being deceptive in that. The king is probably thinking, well, there's a few thousand people that are spread out, you know, and they need to be taken care of. And Haman, he, he says to the king, I'll even pay the people out of my own money to take care of this problem. So it, it's a good deal, according to King Ahasuerus. We can deal with these people, these rebels that are rebelling. And we know that, um, you know, uh, here is Haman being deceptive, just like the enemy does with you and me. You see, here's the thing to always remember, that Satan, that he is the father of lies. He lies constantly. He's a master deceiver. He will deceive you and me in any way that he can. And he lies to us. And he will lie to us uh, in any way that he can. And we need to keep that in mind. So here is Haman kind of lying. He's being deceptive. He, he is saying that, you know, a certain group of people. The king, I don't think, has any idea that it's the Jews that he's talking about. And that's, there are about three million of them throughout the empire, and that they're going to get plundered because the king said to, um, to Haman, here's my signet ring, 
and go ahead and make the decree, and you go ahead and take care of this. And that's what happened. And keep in mind, as we've discussed, that once that law was signed with the signet ring of the king, as it would go out, as we ended last week in chapter 3, the letters were sent um, that, um, you know, as the king said, do what you want to with them. And in the name of the king, um, that they were to be destroyed. Letters sent by the couriers all over the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day. And it would happen in the 12th month um, and then plunder their possessions. I don't think the king really knows that this deals with a large number of people and with the Jewish people. He's just saying, take care of it. So the news goes out, and that brings us to chapter 4 here. And that's where there's this mourning, there's this weeping, because the signing of the decree was found out. And, and Mordecai and the rest of the Jews, they lament. It's a death sentence. There's great mourning and weeping and wailing. And listen, to them it doesn't get any darker than this. It doesn't get any worse than this. And their only hope right now is in the Lord. And the book of Esther, as we have discussed, is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. But we know that God is working here. And in this dark time, it's a time where they need to trust in the Lord and look to the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, and, and I was reading this today, Jehoshaphat was facing a great army, and he begins to cry out to the Lord. And as he's crying out that godly king, he says, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And you see, when we face those times where there's nothing it seems like that we can do, we have no power over the situation. We need to get our eyes on the Lord, and it can be hard at that time, can it? Because we get our eyes on the circumstance, we get our eyes on the difficulties, we get our eyes on, on all of that which is going on. Just like the children of Israel when they were backed up against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides and here comes the Egyptian chariots about ready to come down on them and to destroy them. And what did they do and what did they say as we read in the book of Exodus? It says they lifted up their eyes and they saw the chariots, and they cried out to Moses, Moses, we're going to die. And Moses would say to them, that see the salvation of the Lord, for the Lord will fight for you, and you will see the Egyptians no more. You see, they needed to lift their eyes a little bit higher to get their eyes on the Lord. Paul would say in the book of Colossians, set your eyes, your minds on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And listen, I know that we can be overwhelmed with circumstances and it's difficult when we feel like, Lord, this thing is about ready to run me over. The world, this, this difficulty, this circumstance, trouble that I am facing. And we need to at that time get our eyes on the Lord when we're in that situation. When we don't know what to do, we know that we can look to Him and put our eyes on Him. And begin to look to, to stand on his promises. And Mordecai, he knew that there would be absolutely no hope in going to the king. I mean, the proclamation had been signed. 
He couldn't even approach the king. Notice here that he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In other words, you couldn't go past that point. Why? Because if the king was making an audience before the people out there, it would be embarrassing to have somebody like that. And the king, he didn't care. He didn't want to even see it. He didn't want to be bothered by it. Which brings a little side note. That sometimes when we know that somebody's really hurting and somebody's really troubled in their hearts, sometimes we can shy away from that. We can say, Lord, I don't know if I want to mess with I don't know if I want to talk to them. Oh, I don't know if I, I want to know. Listen, perhaps the Lord would want you to minister to that individual. But my point is simply this. I pray that we would show compassion and we would be caring towards those who are hurting. That they would say, you know what, I'm hurting. I need prayer. I, I can go to this brother, this sister. They can go to you. And people can be able to get godly counsel and, and comfort and God's word that they receive from you. That we would care. That we care about people and their situations and what it is that they're going through. So there's great mourning and lamenting that is going on. And, and again, the decree is, is signed. There's no change in it that the Jews were to be destroyed and one day and all their possessions are to be plundered. Let's continue to read in verse 4. So Esther's maid and eunuchs came and told her and the queen was deeply distressed. And then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him. But he would not accept them. Then Esther called Hathak, uh, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her, she gave him a letter concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. So Esther, at this point, being in the palace of the king, she's isolated from the world. She hears that Mordecai is... is got sackcloth on he he's mourning and she's wondering what's going on here she doesn't know about the decree she only knows that mordecai is wearing sackcloth he's mourning for some reason he's kind of making a spectacle of himself so so she sends some of her maids to bring him close and and hey thack there will you find out what's going on go talk to him and Mordecai, he tells Hathak of Haman's plot that all the Jews are going to be destroyed, even telling him of the money that, you know, would, uh, Haman would spend to destroy all of the Jews. So Esther is just now finding out about this in verse 8 and also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Verse 10, then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. In verse 11, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has put on, um, he has uh, but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. In verse 12, so they told Mordecai Esther's words. So here's what's going on. 
Mordecai, he has a copy of the decree that he gives to be shown to Esther so she knows exactly what's going on. It is explained to her. There's no misunderstandings that are going on. And you need to tell Esther, remember Esther has not revealed her Jewish identity to the king. But now is the time. And Esther, you need to make supplication and plea with the king. You're the queen. And she responds by saying, well, it isn't that easy. You just can't walk in front of the king. You just can't make that appearance in front of the king. And if you dare to go in front of the king without being asked or, you know, requested for, and he did not raise that golden scepter, then you were put to death. So Esther knows that this is a serious situation, that her life could be on the line. And she says to Mordecai, besides, he hasn't asked for me for 30 days. I don't know if he's mad at me. I don't know if he's upset with me. I don't know if he's not interested in me. You see, being the queen at that time in the Medo-Persian Empire, it wasn't like she can just go, you know, into the throne room and say, King, listen, you need to do something about this. You need to change this. It wasn't that way at all. So here is Esther as, as she says, listen, my life is on the line here. You cannot just go into the presence of the king unannounced. And if he doesn't raise that golden scepter then I will be put to death. And we're going to see the response of Mordecai here in just a little bit. But a couple things here that I want to pass along that we can apply as we read here in the text. First of all, that I am so thankful that we can go into the presence of the Lord. You see, we can go into the presence of our King. We can go into the presence of our God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. You see, there are those who think that they can go into the presence of the Lord without Jesus. And we know what the Bible says, and we're going to see in John's Gospel here not too long in chapter 14 that Jesus will make a very important declaration, again, a, a declaration of deity, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And you see, there are many people that are deceived into believing that when I go to heaven, I'm going to get an audience with the Lord and I'm going to be able to tell them, you know, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, or present my good works. It isn't going to be that way at all. You know, we are accepted by our Lord because of Jesus Christ, clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And one day we're going to see our God. And I can't help but think about Jude who says that one day that we will be presented before his presence with exceeding joy. In other words, that God who is able, Jesus, because of what he has done for us, one day we're going to see our Lord and he's going to present us before the Father and the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. That is reality. And it isn't because of our own merit or our own beauty or our own works. It's because of what Jesus did for you and for me for going to the cross. That's how incredible the work of the cross and salvation is for you and for me, what it means for us. That's reality, what Jude writes in that little epistle, that he who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. And the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you because you do belong to the Lord. And we're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over a few things, small things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. And that is our future. And we need to always keep that heavenly and eternal perspective and just be it all. When we come to the communion table tonight, what my hope and prayer for all of us that come is that it isn't just an exercise or isn't just a you know, fill-in space for the service, but we are coming because we love the Lord and we're just at wonder again of this new covenant that we belong. As we hold the elements in our hands, worshiping, and, and Lord, you allowed your body to be broken and your blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. And I get to be with you for all eternity because I put my faith in you in Jesus Christ and what he has done for me in dying on Calvary's cross and put into a grave and he rose again. So here is Esther. She says, I just can't go in front of the king. You know, it it's, could cost me. But also we're told here that she was told that here is the decree. Here is the words. So you don't misunderstand. She doesn't know what's going on, but now she has the word given to her, the decree, so she knows what's going on. I want to point out again to you and to me that there's a lot of people in the world, they don't know what's going on. They don't understand. There are people, I think, that probably all of you know at least somebody who perhaps never has really heard the gospel or it's never been presented or you don't know if they have. People at work and neighbors and, and others that we know are linked to us in our lives. They don't know what's going on. And we have opportunity to be able to take this book and to share with them and say, this is what's written. This is God's word that is given, that Jesus loves you and died for you and, and wants to save you as you give your life to him because we're all sinners and we need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. And a lot of people don't know what's going on. And a lot of people don't understand why there's such sickness and sadness in this world. Now, I'm not saying that, that we can understand everything that goes on. When we study the book of Job here in a little bit, we're going to see that Job is going to go through great suffering, and he's going to go through great loss, and we're going to look at that very carefully. And we're going to see that the book of Job talks about and teaches us about some things about loss and suffering and difficulties but we do know that there's sickness and there's sorrow and there is, you know, sadness in this world because we live in a fallen world, don't we? We know that there's a, a true Haman, that is Satan, the enemy, who is called the God little g of this world, that he's called the prince of the power of the air. And he is doing everything that he can to, to, to bring this world to where eventually he's going to bring it to destruction, as we know from the prophetic picture. And we have opportunity to be able to share with people the truth of God's word and to be able to share with them hope and comfort and the gospel. And as we talked about last week as well, that a lot of times people, as they look at the world, they don't understand, you know, why is the world in such a mess that it is? And you and I, as we read the word of God, we know that our hope is not in this world, right? Have we figured that out? I think that we have. I hope and pray that you are not saying, my hope is in this world, because this world is not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is coming back. And we know 
the events that are going to take place to lead up to that. And there are a lot of people that look at the news. There's a lot of people that see, you know, what's going on in the Middle East. They're wondering, what is this deal with ISIS, this, this threat to us? And is it a problem? Why is the Middle East in such difficulty and upheaval? Well, you and I, we read the prophetic scenario. We read this book, and you are able to give answers to others who have no clue what is going on. Esther, she doesn't know what's going on until the decree is written. And we can tell people what is written in this book. That, hey, we're in the last days. That, hey, God is, is going to, you know, send his son again, Jesus. Jesus is going to come back and rule and reign. And we're going to rule and reign with him. And we can talk to them about those things that are going to take place in the last days. And, and to tell the people that your hope is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. So here, it's difficult times right now. And Esther is saying, I don't know if I can do that. And we see Mordecai, he answers in verse 13, told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come into this kingdom for such a time as this. And that really is the theme of this book, isn't it? Verse 14. That Esther, what makes you think that you're going to escape this decree? You're Jewish. It's going to be found out. And if you don't do something, and this is where Mordecai really shows some faith and he shows some hope here in this verse, because you caught him saying, God's going to raise somebody else to, to save his people. Mordecai knows that God had given a promise that his people are not going to be destroyed. Mordecai knows that God is going to step in somehow, some way. But Esther, how do you know that you have not been put into this palace for such a time as this? We know that it was no coincidence that Esther became the queen out of all those young ladies that came and, and were prepared for the king, that Esther was the one that would become the queen. And Esther, you are put into this place, in this position, even though it wasn't easy for Esther. It, it wasn't like she, you know, has this loving relationship with the king, not at all. She's wondering if the king here is going to put me to death if I do this. But Esther, how do you know that you're not here for such a time as this? to help save God's people, to be used of the Lord. And it's the same with you. And it's the same with me. Sometimes we say, Lord, why am I in this place at work? You know, why am I stuck here? How do you know that the Lord doesn't have you there for such a time as this? That there's someone that he wants you to minister to. That there's somebody that he wants you to be able to be a witness to and for. That there's a reason for that. Lord, why am I stuck in, in this situation? Why are these people coming into my life? And I believe that the Lord desires for us to be sensitive to the situations that we're in and the places that we find ourselves in. For such a time as this, perhaps the Lord would speak to us as we say, Lord, why am I here? Because I want to use you for such a time as this. Lord, why are these people in my life? Because I want to use you for such a time as this. 
And sometimes we think, oh, Lord, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't want to be here. But we need to be sensitive in the leading of the Lord in our lives that he wants to use us where he's planted us and, and where he has us for such a time as this. How do you know that you haven't come into the kingdom? You belong to the kingdom of God. And we have opportunity to be of great encouragement and give truth to others and to be able to pray about that and be sensitive about that. But sometimes what we do is we just grump and gripe and murmur and complain about where we're at and the people around us rather than opening up our eyes spiritually. You guys have heard me uh, mention this, that one of the miracles that Jesus did was he touched a man who was blind. And remember, he touched him. It's in Luke's narrative. And, you know, the guy, you know, as Jesus said, can you see? And the guy says, well, I, I see blurry. I see men as trees. And Jesus touched him again, and then he could see clearly. You know, we're going to be in John chapter 9, the man who was born blind, and Jesus healed him. And it spiritually speaks of us that we were blind before Jesus touched us, and now we can see. But sometimes as we become Christians, that our spiritual eyes become a little bit blurry, don't they? And it's at that time that we need to ask the Lord to touch us a second time. Lord, touch me again that I may see people the way that you want me to, that I can see them clearly, that they're lost and there's hopelessness, and Lord, that they're sinners, they're lost in their sin, and, and you want me, you have me in their life for such a time as this to be a witness to them. Let's open up our spiritual eyes more and be sensitive to the Lord in that. So here we see that, that you know, Mordecai says, Esther, don't think that you can just live in the palace, isolate it, and continue to just live in comfort and luxury. You're not going to escape this. Sometimes we, when we're facing difficult situations, we want to just kind of like, I don't want anything to do with this. Or I don't want anything to do with them. I just want to be comfortable. And unfortunately, a lot of what is being taught in Christianity is that mindset. How comfortable you can be. How happy, you know, that you should be. I know that some of you probably got the same thing, you know, that somebody sent me a, uh, a video of, of the wife of the largest, you know, the pastor of the largest church in America that was telling thousands of people in front of the stadium that when you come and worship God and, and, and you live for God, you do it for yourself. You don't do it for God. God just wants you to be happy. God just, you know, that's what he wants. You don't do it for God. You do it for yourself. And I'm thinking, what? That's not biblical at all. Whatever happened to do all things unto the Lord. Whatever happened to, were to die to self. So that is what's popular in the church today, that you live for yourself, that you do it for yourself, that God just wants you to be happy. Now, listen, don't misunderstand me. I am all for happiness. <laughs> but he wants to give us something very much more deeper than happiness, and that's joy. Listen. Joy unspeakable. And I'm all for happiness. But we will go through things in life that will not make us happy. And in those times, 
where they're hard and difficult and dark, we can still have that joy unspeakable, a sense of just peace and calmness and confidence that God is working in my life. What makes you think that you can just avoid this, Esther? How do you know that you haven't come into the kingdom for such a time as this? So in other words, as I sum it up here, and then we're going to move on, is that our lives isn't just about us and our Christianity. It is about others and sharing with others and ministering to others and sharing one another burdens and praying for them and being there for them. Because the Lord wants to use you and me wherever he has placed us. And he is preparing us for that, even as we speak, for such a time as this. And what my prayer and hope is that even tonight, as the Lord is speaking to our hearts, that maybe there's been just a little bit too much grumping going on. I know there can be in my heart. I'll speak for myself, okay? About the situation that I can find myself in or things that irritate me or whatever it might be. And I can miss the spiritual picture that the Lord is saying, I want you to minister to be strong and courageous in this time, to give truth to this person, whatever it might be, rather than, Lord, I just want everybody to leave me alone. I just want to be isolated from this. But, Lord, rather help me to honor you and to be used of you and however you want to do that. So here in verse 15, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the, to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. So she says we need to have a prayer meeting. That's a good thing to do. We're going to fast and we're going to pray and we need to have this prayer meeting. It reminds me of Daniel in chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream and he goes to his wise man and he says, listen guys, I want you to tell me what the dream is and the interpretation of the dream. And the wise men of Babylon say, well, just tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no, I'm not going to do that. If you guys are really wise guys, you know, if you're really that good, you should be able to tell me the dream and then the interpretation of the dream. You know, otherwise you can just make something up. So Nebuchadnezzar was insistent on that. They said, we can't do that. No, no one has ever asked for that. That's unreasonable, king. And the king got mad, and he started killing the wise men of Babylon. Well, part of that was Daniel, who had just come into the kingdom, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were just being trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government. And so it was told to Daniel, the king is going to kill all of you guys because he is mad. He had a dream. He wants to know what the dream is and the interpretation of the dream. And what did Daniel do? He said, listen, give me some time. I'll tell the king to give me some time. And he called for his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what did they do? They had a prayer meeting. They fasted and they prayed. Sometimes when we find ourselves in just being overwhelmed, it's hard to pray, isn't it? And I'll have people that will come and see me and they'll talk with me and 
and, and they'll say, Pastor Jeff, I got this going on, and, and, and what do I do? And I need to think of something, and I'll ask them, have you prayed? Well, I really haven't prayed because maybe they're just so overwhelmed or they just haven't taken the chance to do that. And I'll say, listen, let's just stop and let's just pray and let's seek the Lord. It's very, very important that we spend time with the Lord when we're overwhelmed. So here's Esther. She's saying, you know what? I'm going to get my, my maids, which is kind of interesting. We're going to fast and pray. I just wonder if Esther had been ministering to them. And you tell the, the other Jews, Mordecai, that we're going to have a fast and, and we're going to give it to the Lord and, and we're going to go to him. And that's what you and I are to do. And she says something. She says, I'm going to go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Great courage that she's showing here, isn't she? She's showing great courage and commitment to the Lord and to her people. If I perish, I perish. Again, Daniel chapter 3, you know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's image. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, you heat that furnace up seven times more than normal and we're going to toss you. And they said, if we do, we do, but we're not going to bow down to your statue. And they were thrown in and, of course, delivered by the Lord. Daniel, he would pray to the Lord in chapter 6, even though a decree had been signed by Darius that no one prays to any other God but to me for 30 days. And Daniel trusted in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord in that. He knew that the decree had been signed, but he wasn't going to compromise. And here's the thing. You know, when we're faced with adversity or persecution or difficulties that people are going to bring to us, are we going to stand for righteousness? Are we going to stand for what is true? It is. I think a lot of you, you've been watching the news and reading the articles and, and looking at how we got brothers and sisters that are going through tremendous persecution in Syria and in Iraq. Brothers and sisters that are being killed even as we speak, that are leaving their homes, that are being persecuted very heavily, that are told that if they don't convert to Islam that they're going to be beheaded, that are going through those kinds of persecutions. And we need to remember to pray for them. And we need to remember them and, and, and know that they're going through such difficulties and hardships. And it is so hard to see it and sad. Christians in North Korea that are being put in prison for, for if they get caught with the Bible. You know, that are being put to death. Putting, you know, sentences of hard labors put on them for years. We got Christians in, in Iran and throughout other parts of the Middle East that are in prison for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ in Africa, in Sudan, and other places. And persecution is spreading. And as we gather here tonight, we can be thankful because we don't go through that heavy of a persecution, but let me just put this little bug in your ear. As we as a nation are getting further away from the Lord... I think that persecution is going to increase here for you and for me. And again, there are going to be those times where are we going to stand for the Lord and what is right? Are we going to stand for 
you know, the truth of what God's word declares, are we going to do that even though we may be persecuted? Are we going to trust in the Lord? And that persecution may not be that far down the road. I remember I used to listen to, you know, those guys, you know, a lot of the, the guys that we listened to on Grace FM, Raul Reese and Mike McIntosh. And years ago, 10 years ago, they would say, don't be surprised, persecution comes to us. And I used to think, ah, you know, it's persecution in America isn't that bad, you know. But as I see that as we get further away from the Lord, and I think that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, that you and I are going to make decisions whether we're going to stand for the Lord. And here Esther is standing for the Lord and for her people and showing great courage. So I want to encourage you to be strong and stand for him. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for great will be their reward. And it's not easy, and it's hard, and it's difficult. But what's it going to be like? I wonder, what's it going to be like for my children? As if the Lord tarries, and as they minister, and as they walk with the Lord, the years go by, how much more difficult is going to get for them? How much more difficult is going to get for you? And that's why it concerns me about a lot of the messages, feel-good messages that are being presented in the church today. Now listen, I don't want to put undue burden on you and worry and all of this. I don't know what the future holds. I do know that the world isn't going to get more rosy and better in all of this, that it's going to get more difficult because that's what God's Word declares that's going to happen before His return. And I know that there's a glorious promise given to us that he's going to come and he's going to take the church out of and away from this world in the rapture of the church. And I believe that can happen at any time. We don't know the day or the hour. But in the meantime, that it could become more and more difficult for you and for me. And I think we're starting to see that, aren't we? We're starting to feel more pressure to compromise than ever before. We're feeling you know, the pressure to, to dismiss what God's truth has to say. And here's Esther that is saying, you know what, I'm going to stand up for God. I'm going to stand up for my people. And if I perish, I perish. So what is our heart and our mindset? People say, oh, well, you know, like Peter I'll die for you, Lord. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. On that last night, he was with our Lord. And he was doing it out of the flesh, and he ended up denying the Lord. And sometimes we can think, oh, you know, I'll, I'll die for the Lord, whatever. First, we've got to live for him. And maybe you and I, and there's a good chance that we won't be called to die for the Lord, literally. But will we live for him? All right? And be strong and stand for truth and look to him and know that great will be your reward. Well, I was planning on doing chapter 5, but we'll do that next week. So, Father, we thank you. And, Lord, this is dark times for Esther, for Mordecai, and for the whole Jewish nation here at this time. We see that you are working. 
and Esther was brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And Lord, you have us in the places that we're at and the people that are linked to us in our lives for such a time as this. So help us to keep our spiritual eyes open. Help us to be strong and courageous, to stand for you. Lord, to give truth to others, to be able to, Lord, know that you're with us, your promises are true, and that to continue to keep our eyes upon you, just as Jehoshaphat would pray 2,700 years ago. It's a prayer for us that, Lord, help me, because without you, Lord, Lord, we get overwhelmed and there is no hope and then the hour is dark. But you're the one that strengthens us and brings light and Lord ministers to us. Your comfort, your wisdom, your strength. So help us keep our eyes on you. Father, right now as we come to the communion table, that we would just be at all just thankful that we can come into your presence not on our own merit but because of what Jesus Christ has done for us and Lord my prayer is, is that we hold the elements in our hands this would be a time of worship it would be a time of Lord you saved me I'm going to go to heaven I belong to, to this new covenant. I'm so thankful that you allowed your body to be broken and your blood shed for forgiveness of sin. Oh, Lord, I am just know that it gets better for us as Christians. But Lord, help me to endure and to be used and to see people with the same love that you see them. Father, I pray it be a true time of just drawing close to you right now and marveling at your wonderful works as Jesus went to the cross for us and he died for us personally so that we can have the hope of heaven and true relationship with you. So thank you for this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. We're going to open up the communion tables. They're on both sides, and then you can come up and receive the elements, go back to your seat, and just we're going to spend some time worshiping, and then I'm going to come up, I'm going to lead us into communion, and we'll take of the elements together. Mm -hmm.